Guys, welcome to another episode of Me and the Crew. I'm your host, Shawnee Leverett. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing someone who has fast become one of my favorite people to get to know. Professor Martine Leva, who is a formerly incarcerated Chicano scholar and current doctoral student at UC San Diego. Most importantly, he is my sociology professor. Martine's journey is nothing short of uplifting. He has a deep passion for societal justice, human rights, and a wealth of knowledge and experience in various life areas. I've asked Martine here to give us his unique perspective on societal issues and the changes he feels are needed in our current times. Please help me welcome professor, mentor, and true OG, Martin Leva. Professor, we ready? Uh, hello, everybody. It's an honor to be here with you, Sean. Uh, and, you know, thank you so much for the invitation. My pleasure, brother. Uh, we are going to try and keep it... Uh... Uh, we're going we're gonna to try and keep it professional, but no, no guarantees there. Um, so, grew up in Santa Barbara, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, known for pristine beaches, uh, scenic route. Uh, it's beautiful up there, man. And just being honest, Professor, I was joking uh, while I was talking to my brother. And we we're, were talking about, you know, what I got going on. My next podcast is with my professor. You know, he comes from the streets. Our lives parallel each other in a lot of ways. My brother's like, well, you know, what, where is he from? What part of L.A. is he from? I'm like, he's not from L.A. He's from Santa Barbara. My brother paused, man. And he's like, Santa Barbara? That they have gangsters in Santa Barbara? <laughs> I was like, like man, apparently so. <laughs> I love that that comment, your brother. Hey, you from Santa Barbara? Like, you know, because people always look at Santa Barbara as this uh, pristine place, the mm -hmm. home of the elite, a um, lot of beautiful, they call it the Spanish Riviera. Um, you know, it is. It's a very beautiful place. A lot of, a lot of very rich, very elite people live there, movie stars, politicians, uh, global mm -hmm. Folks like you know the the Prince Harry and his wife uh, uh, live there now. You know what I mean. And so that's what we see in Santa Barbara. But I grew up on 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 the lower west side of Santa Barbara, and you know a lot of people in certain areas would say you know it's, it's not that violent, it's not that bad. But you know when you grow up, uh, uh, when you grow growing up there, there is man. There's there's we have a uh, our fair share of gangs, our fair share of um, surveillance and crime, poverty. You know, it's just like we see a lot of the inner city stuff, right? And um, that's my Santa Barbara. That's my Santa Barbara. That's, the, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, uh, alcohol and drugs. I grew up in a community where alcohol and drugs and friends groups that were alcohol and drugs was was all part of it. You know, yeah. you grew up around that. You grew up, also grew up around violence. You grew up yeah. around this, like, this uh, patriarchal men or men type attitudes. And, and you know, you either... For me, I always share, you know, what if you if you didn't act like that or be like that, that something was wrong mm. with you. And and you know, yeah. I knew that I think I know the difference between right and wrong back then, but you know what? I wanted to be with the in crowd and so I followed it. You know what I mean? I I did what, what was happening in my family and I did what was happening in my community and you know, I was part of the street, I was part of the neighborhood, uh, part of the drug culture, the gang culture, the you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. it was, it was, that was it for me, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, man. And I, you know, as a, as a professor right now, I have to think back to that journey because, uh, 
you know, I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't really educated. I loved school, but I wasn't really educated. You know, I never really felt mm. like I was a part of school, seen, yeah. visible. Um, I felt like an outcast from a very young age. And, you know, I, 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 uh, I was pushed away from high school in ninth grade. You know what I mean? I had a ninth okay. grade education. Yeah. And um, yeah, man. So that, that, that's little Martine. <laughs> Talk about how your experience with the criminal justice system um, created the passion for what you do now? Oh, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I always share with students because I do a lot of work with other formerly incarcerated people, people who just barely got out of prison. They want to try education. Um, and I, I share with them all the same thing. I said, you know what, I, I you know, I'm, I'm close to finishing my doctorate degree and I get I always, but I always say, you know, other than like the doctorate degree, the master's degree, bachelor's degrees, all that stuff, all that education is irrelevant because the greatest education I ever got was my own personal experience, True. you know, and when, and when I look at my life, um, you know, you just briefly touched on, you know, having ADD, having ADHD. Um, I talk about this thing I call academic distancing. You know, I've never really a bad kid in, in school. I just couldn't concentrate, right? right? And a teacher, when a teacher feels disrespected, first thing they do is get out of my classroom, right? And yep. I was like, yep. Okay. So I would go, I had to go to the principal's office. Hey, you know, what happened? I don't know. I just was drawing or looking out the window or, you know, I got up or whatever. I didn't, not like I was like hitting anybody, throwing things, you know what I mean? Just doing, you know, my, my attention span was real short. Right. The principal yeah. would say, hey, no big deal. Go back to class. Well, you know, there's <laughs> by the time from, from the time I left class to the time I go back, that's half that's half hour. Right. I get back to class. You know, when I left You're class, <laughs> they was on. Yeah, they, they were on question one. I got back there on question five. Right. By the time I get there, I'm like, I don't I don't feel connected. I just disconnected. Right. Because an academic yeah. distancing that happened that I love school. I love to learn. I love to contribute, but yeah, man, my ADD, you know, by the time ninth grade came around, I felt so lost, man, that, mm. you know, my mom and, you know, I come from a family who values work, you know, they're, they're working yeah. class, poor working class people, blue collars, mm. you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. my mom said, look, if you're not going to go to school, you go to work. And I was like, cool, you know what I mean? But, mm -hmm. you know, there was, you know, there was a lot of alcohol and violence in my household and a lot of uncertainty that I, I gravitated towards the streets because sure I had these little uh these little simple jobs, but the streets, man, uh, you know, you know mm -hmm. the the old cliche, man. I, I've heard a judge say this to me, or not a judge, it was a DA, and I've heard a lot of young people I work with they say too, or like they say, Hey, oh, he and she got caught up with the wrong crowd, right? And they want to blame the wrong crowd. And I often think like we we should never demonize demonize the wrong crowd because the wrong crowd for me provided me a safe place to sleep, mm -hmm. food to eat, a hug. Mm -hmm. They told me they loved me. Sure, mm -hmm. there was like negative consequences, but those negative consequences eventually ended me in juvenile hall, uh, jail, and eventually, you know, you you kind of when you're when you're in that trajectory and you feel the coolness or like the the you know, the, the older homies saying, you know, man, you just got locked up, man. It's all good. Yep. You're going to be like, I yep. felt finally, man, you're accepting me. And yeah. I never really saw it as negative. I felt the acceptance. And mm. next thing you know, I graduated to prison. And, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I always knew when I, everything I've ever done wrong, I've always said, man, this isn't, 
this isn't right. You know what I mean? Like I should be doing mm. something different. But again, mm -hmm. that need, that desire to feel accepted, wanted, seen, you know what I mean? And not only was that happening to me, but I was making that happen for other people too, because mm. in their, in their um, negative interactions with the system, right? I don't want to mm -hmm. call it crime because criminality, I don't like those terms. I was like, oh man, you're going to be all right. Like I was seeing people just like they were seeing me. I felt at home, right? And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, long story short, you know, in, 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 in 2003, 2004, I went to prison for a short, short term. You know, I was there for till 2007. Mm -hmm. And I've always, man, ever since I was, you know, young age, I said, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's good. I'm going to do better. I'm going to, I'm going to do right, right? I'm going to yeah. do right. We always, all, all, man, all people say that. Yeah. But man, you know, a, a, a string of events happened to me when I was in prison the last time, man. And I began to really feel like empathy, right? I missed my kids. I missed my mom. My mom had ended up in the hospital. I thought I'd never see my mom again. And then mm. um, I always share this story, and I'm writing about it in my dissertation right now. I always share this story, man. I finally met a father figure. Uh, who spoke to me differently in prison mm. is what's interesting. There's two men in particular, but this one man, you know, I'm, I'm Chicano background. I go to prison. I run, I run uh, IP, right? Indian power. I'm part of, I'm part of a native American clique subculture and that's my people. Right. And you know, the, the unwritten rules of prison, you know, you don't cross there's racial barriers. There's all these rules is that, I can navigate that space fucking clearly, man. I, I, I've always felt comfortable in that space. I knew what I can do, what I can't do. I used to check people on what they can and can't do. I used to, mm -hmm. you know, not hold keys, but I used to say, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go manage these, the, 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 the brothers, right. And the elders, you know, gave me permission to do so. Right. I know prison politics. Right. But I met this man in prison, man, who, uh, he would always see me reading books. I love to read. Right. Always sees me reading books. And this cat, he came up to my cell one day, man. Here's the interesting thing that people trip out on. This this dude's a, an older gentleman. At that time in our life, he was probably mid-60s, right? This was this right. was almost 16, 17 years ago. He comes to my cell and he starts asking me, hey, hey, youngster, what you reading, right? And I told him, I'm reading four agreements, whatever. And he's like, that's a shit book. <laughs> he just starts tearing the book apart. <laughs> and he's like, here, read this, right? And he gives me My Life is a Sundance by Leonard. P oh, no, no, I'm sorry. He gave me Pedagogy of the Oppressed by uh, Paulo Freire. Hmm. And he's like, read this book, man. And then when you're done, uh, come see me. And he's also like, don't get that book taken away. He started, to, he started to see something in me I never even thought of seeing in myself. Here's the interesting hmm. thing about this, Sean. This man was a black man. And then yeah. the old man squeak, old man squeaks. And, you know, my elder came up to me right after. He said, hey, what's, what's the old man want? Right? Because of the racial tension. Yeah. I, and I pointed at the book and I said, he gave me that literature. And my elder, without a skip and a beat, is like, cool, you should read that book. It's a good book, right? Hmm. And uh, actually, you know what? It was it was Leonard Peltier's book that he gave me. Okay. And, um, and, you know, like, Old man squeaks, man. This black dude in prison, he used to call himself the retired crip. He's like, I'm a crip, but I'm retired. He didn't play games no more, right? Right. And um, 
from that day forward, man, he gave me he gave me pedagogy to the press. He gave me some bell hooks literature. He gave me some, you know, just all this literature. Me and him would walk around the yard, sit at the sit at the uh, the the tables on the yard, and we would just talk literature, talk talk economics, inequality, talk about uh, history. He would tell me about the Black Panthers. I I would tell him about the American Indian Movement because I was a member, right? Mm-hmm. And we would just he became my my person, man, and and that spearheaded who I am and where I am today, man. It's, and there's so many things in that story, you know. Maybe maybe at another time, me and you have lunch and sit down and just chop it up. But you know what I mean? There's yeah, it, and and then not only that, these little things were always happening. I get word, oh yeah, so and so in the neighborhood got killed or this happened or that happened and he would help mm-hmm. me make sense of that right one one instance mm-hmm. in 2007 you know i came home in april of 2007 and in march of 2007 i got a got a letter in the mail by my mom's and my mom sent me this uh front page of the newspaper front page of the newspaper a 14 year old kid murdered in broad daylight by another 14 year old kid and this kid was from my neighborhood he's from the west side of santa barbara broad daylight stabbing big big uh gang tussle right between kids though right these are 15 14 13 14 15 year olds right mm-hmm. and squeaks and and my elder mitch he looked at me and said well, you know you get out next one what are you going to do about this i was like i ain't gonna do nothing he goes and that's part and that's part of the problem part of the problem you know what yeah. i mean yeah it's part of the and problem. uh I didn't know education was in in in. I didn't know education was in it for me. I just said, you know, I'm gonna get out. I don't know. I'm just gonna see what happens, right? And um, mm-hmm. these little incidences, man, that, they're not little. They're big incidences that made me look at life completely different, and it made me right. think, like, you know, if I get out, even if I stay silent, I'm part. I'm complicit within the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And. Um, yeah, man, that 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 is uh, that's what I got for now, man. Because I know there's a lot of pack, there's a lot packed in there, right? So, no, um, bro, real talk, man. You know, and some of this, um, I know, you know, not so much in detail, but because you discuss your background and your lifestyle, and you don't shy away from that in class, I know, which I'm always earful of, um, and you know, I try and share with the youngsters who are there in class some of my history and some of the things, man, and you know, much like you were prison, you know, shifted your space or you had somebody shift your space on another trajectory. Uh, Mine was, I had to leave here when I was 12. I'm not sure if I shared that story with you. I had to leave here when I was 12 years old. And, you know, every time I, you know, it used to bother me when I thought about it, but when, you know, now not so much because I've said it so many times, I'm like, who has to leave their neighborhood when they're 12 years old? What mm-hmm. kind of damage are you doing where you have to leave? We had one uh, black sheriff in our neighborhood, uh, Sheriff Carradine, I always be grateful for. You know, my mom and my mom and pop were together. Pops was in the household, but pops was a gangster. Pops was putting in, you know, um, dirt on the street. You know, he was a shot caller, ran money houses, and you know, um, you know, he, he was a strong arm for some people back in the day. And we knew that. He never brought yeah. it to the house, but we knew that. And right. so I was, you know, I, I was emulating some of the stories that I heard and some of the things that were going on in the neighborhood. So I was hustling and doing my thing. And I was always chinked up, you know, not not for long, but I was always chinked up. And yeah. Carradine would come get me. You know, he'd always look at me like, Red, where are you going? 
Because if I wasn't in church, real talk, if I wasn't in church, I was doing something I should not have been doing. And I was helping Man. some of the gangsters who I looked up to do stuff like being a lookout. You know, yeah. and you know, when I look at it now, they were taking advantage of me. So that that perspective changed when my travel. So um, Carradine went to my mom, you know, and I remember looking up at him like that is big old guy. And he's like, you know, if you don't get him out of here, you're gonna lose him to these streets. And I was like, yeah. you know, I, I was I was hoping he wouldn't tell my pops. My because my pops, all he's gonna do is beat you, put hands on you, you know, bloody yeah. hills and, and and those kind of things. You know, pops didn't talk to you, he hit you. So my mom didn't want to send me to Texas where her people were. Uh, my brother was like, you know, we'll send him with me. And, you know, he was in Okinawa, Japan. And so like, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So I went there and I was mean mugging, walking around, shoulders up, looking for a fight because that's what I was doing in the neighborhood. I'll try and keep that story short. Yeah. And, and the bros, the bros would be laughing at me. You know, my, my brother and his bros be laughing at me. I was like, fuck y'all, cuss. You know, <laughs> and they just look at me, just make him laugh harder. It's like, you know, we're not yeah. laughing at you, young blood. We're not laughing at you. It's like, you know, we've been there with that anger that's on you. We've been there. You know, you need to get rid of that. And so my brother was like, you know, I'm going to put you in Muay Thai. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. It's kickboxing. So you're going to get up every morning, but crack of dawn. It was like four or something in the morning. And I need you to run until you can't see the base anymore. And if anybody knows Okinawa, Japan, Okinawa, Japan is primarily water and beach. Primarily. You ever been to the beach? You look in any direction. What can you not see? So right. literally, there was literally nowhere you could run to where you couldn't see the base. How am I not going to see these big ass pipes? So I'd run. I'd dip off into a village. And this was before cell phones, man. So this was 70, <laughs> yeah. 70, 78, maybe 78, 79, right around there. And so when I got back to the base, he always knew that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. It, you know, and mm. because I was the only black kid running around in Japan on the beach, you get it? Yeah. yeah. So he was like, so I started disciplining myself and I'd run off, you know, and I'd hang out in the villages and some of these people. And it was like, there was no, no locked doors, no bars on the window, no fighting, no music, no nothing. It was just people. It, it was a different community, a different culture. So by the time I started disciplining myself, I'd be gone all day until the evening comes. And I come back and he never bothered me. He never asked what I had been doing, never. And he woke me up one day. He's like, you know, hey, it's time. You know, you're going to start boxing. I had been running so long, Martin, that I forgot that's the reason I was doing it. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Seriously. So it was just exhausting all those things that were chasing me. Which did, that did the same thing for him when he got there. So I was there for almost three years, man. When I came back to the neighborhood, I didn't want to do the things I was doing anymore. And yeah. it was, it was, it's weird, right? Because the youngsters coming up who knew my reputation and my brother's reputation expected me to be doing those same things. And because I didn't want to do those things anymore, all of a sudden I, I became their enemy. Right, right. Yeah, you know? man. Yeah. Wow, I feel so, that. So when, that. When you say that, man, it was one of those things where in, in prison, I made a conscious decision to not do you know, the street life anymore. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm clean, I'm sober. I spent the whole time sober and clean in prison. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was doing some, some subculture prison stuff, but that was a survival thing. But I was trying my best not to hurt anybody, be very diplomatic. Like I yeah. was doing, I was doing good. When I came back to the neighborhood, came, even came back to my family because a lot of my family was kind of caught up with that, with that, with that uh, way of life too. And I, 
I just said, I'm not doing no more, right? And some some people yeah. gave me some a lot of love and respect. They said, yeah, good luck. You know, you'll be all right. Other people, they just shot away from me, you know? And somebody from my from a neighborhood once said, oh, he must have snitched on somebody. He, you know what I mean? I'm like, come on, man. You know what I mean? You, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I walk yeah. away and all of a sudden, I'm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. But I didn't take it personal. I, I said, I understood where you're coming from, but I'm going to leave that alone. You know what I mean? I don't need yeah. to go proving anything to anybody. I don't need to go like showing like, you know, and I felt disrespected, but I also felt like I, this is going to sound, no, you should sound good to you, man. But I was, was loving the person I was becoming. And so I said, you know, I can go, I can go square up with these cats who are saying that I may have snitched or whatever, but I said, well, what's that going to prove? It's yeah. going to put me back into that old way of life. And I can't, I can't do it. I'm trying to re re uh, refamiliarize myself with my my kid, my mom's, my family. Even I share this incident, man. Th- this situation in my life, ever since I was a baby, man. Ever since I was little, every once in a while, man, we have a barbecue, and the barbecue is because somebody came home from prison. They came back, right? Right. And right. when they come back, they got the barbecue, the beer, and mm-hmm. you know, just like you, and, and you tell, share the story about your pops. They, the men in my family never taught me how to be part of the neighborhood. They never taught me how to do drugs. They never taught me how to fight. They never taught me how to, mm-hmm. you know, the street codes. You only watch or you only learn by watching, watching, by listening, ob- observational yeah. learning, right? Yeah. And that. I learned that, that, you know, when we got a barbecue this weekend, oh, so and so's dad came home or my uncle came home, right? Yeah, and yeah. I don't know how many times they had a little barbecue for me. Martin's getting out; he's coming home. Gonna have barbecue, food. People from the yeah. neighborhood get together. Well, what happened? Who did what? Blah blah blah. They share the fucking stories of incarceration, right? Mm-hmm. Two thousand seven, man. My family picks me up from the gate, and on the way home, my sister she said, um, "On Saturday we're gonna have a barbecue." You cousin it Frank's coming over, so and so's coming over, Joe's coming over. All these people are coming over. I could just, I remember thinking to myself, man, all these people want to see me. I've been down a few years and not one of those people visited me, wrote me right. or nothing. And all of a sudden you want right. to see me? Mm-hmm. Here's what happened, man. I told my, I told my sister right then and there, I said, you know what? I don't, I don't want it. Hmm. Uh, she's and my mom, my sisters were like, what? You know, I fucking shocked the system at that point. Right. They're like, what do you mean? This is like tradition. I said, I don't, I don't right. want to talk about. I don't want to talk about what I saw. I don't talk about what I did. I don't want to talk about who did what and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to share these stories. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah. you know, I got two little, I got two little nephews. I got my daughter there and it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. Hmm. And my, even my own family, man, were like, what, what's going on here? What happened? You know what I mean? They yeah. thought, I don't even know what they thought because I, I didn't actually care to seek what, what they were thinking. All I knew is that I needed to change for myself and everybody around me, Mm-hmm. They they needed to accept it or not, right? And uh, I was tired of being everybody's identified patient, right? When we talk about the identified patient, it's that person in the family who's always like, the family's always worried about where's he at, what's he doing, Where, you know, he's in trouble again. We need to go help him, you know what I mean? That they focus so much on me that they don't need to focus on themselves, right? And um, oh. I I I long I no longer became my family's identified patient anymore. And it's sad to say that my nephew became all of a sudden because the family, people in the family, 
you know, we all come from trauma, but nobody really mm -hmm. wants to address their own trauma because it's scary. Right. And my nephew became their identified patient after that. But, you know, like, yeah, man, making that change, you know, and just saying, like, I can't do it no more and I need to do something different, which, you know, you know, accidentally, my dog might be barking right now. You know, he's tripping right now. But, <laughs> hey, bro, I, yeah. I, I got three. I got three in the other room. Don't trip. <laughs> I got three um, in the other room. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So, you know, which led me to education. The more education I got, the more I understood the the, the intergenerational and intragenerational mm -hmm. trauma of my family. And it made me think like, okay, you know, a lot of my focus is on uh, emotional intelligence, social justice, and intergenerational trauma. That's that's yeah. besides doing the criminology reentry program uh, or studies and that type of stuff, because I think that especially as men, right? Not just men, but women. But right now, I'm talking about men. Right. Speaking of myself, we carry a burden from the generations that we never even met. Right. Our great grandparents, our great great grandparents, we carry that burden from that men because that's usually what's passed on through our fathers. Right. I, I dealt with the father who abandoned me before I was born. Right. And I carried that burden for a long time that eventually I abandoned my children. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that no more. Right. And so. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, man, when I came home, it's just exactly what you were saying, like, you know what, you we had to get away. We had to figure out when when I came home man. people was like, you know, only a few were like, man, I'm proud of you. Good luck with the school thing. Good luck with this. Good luck with that. Yeah. But a majority of them just fucking kind of said, we don't want nothing to do with them. It's still to this day, man, 16 years later, been out of prison 16 years. I yeah. go to my neighborhood. What's up? How you doing? A couple of handshakes and hugs. And then there's people that just, you know, either A, they don't know me or they forgot about me or B, I'm just another fucking square in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and real talk, <laughs> man, you, you, you talked about that that generational thing. Um, you know, like I, I look at, you know, because like when I came back, the OGs, you know, were still the same. Because those are the ones who are telling me, do as I say, not what you see me doing. The mm -hmm. ones who, you know, who, who, who I grew up with in mind, you know, they, they just, a few of them were still cool, but the majority of them just left me alone. The, the issue yeah. that I had with it, it was the youngsters coming up, the ones who were trying to make a name for themselves, the one who looked to you a little bit or your family name a little bit, who still wanted to do these things. And all of a sudden you're a mark, you're a hook. You're a sellout, yeah. you know, and all, all these other things. Man. I'm like, man, fuck you. And just being honest, Martin, and being honest, bro, I could make myself try and look good and say I decided to go to go right. That's not the case. What I did is, is hooked up with the bros in the neighborhood who weren't doing dirt, and we became our own clique. We didn't have a name, you know, we didn't have a gang name, but don't, you know, don't don't fuck with it. And so we'd be fighting with the youngsters, and while we're fighting out in the street, the and like it, it's weird, you know, when I think about it, surreal, and that's how I know somebody's always had their hand on me. We'd be fighting with the local gangsters in the neighborhood, and another gang would roll by and shoot at us. Other people mm. would be hit and being dropped, and I wasn't even gang banging. I, I was, I wasn't yeah. banging, but you were still guilty by association. You yeah. cannot be seen with somebody. You cannot be seen hanging out. You cannot be associated, you know, with that neighborhood that we were in, man. And, you know, when you think about that shit, and that's that's when it finally hit me that there's an expiration date for this. There's yeah. an expiration date for this. You know, I, I I need to do better for my three sisters. You know, my brothers, you know, my one brother's locked up. My other brother, you know, I just left him. He's, you know, he's overseas. So I need to do better for my sisters. 
And that was that that started me on that path to just kind of exploring and venturing out with people who didn't look like me. So the travel thing is what changed, you know, for me. Um, my, my neighborhood was still the same. And in fact, it just became different when guns were introduced, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that that's a whole nother story. And I, I got an episode coming up on that. And it's how that shit was brought into our neighborhoods without us knowing. Um, but t- mm-hmm. talk about that, man. I, I, is that that background, you coming out, why sociology? Why that field? Um, again, man, you know what I mean? I let the universe kind of guide me, right? Um, I kind of let the universe guide me. And sociology, again, was by accident because, you know, I, I, I came home from prison and I started, my niece said, hey, go check out school because I couldn't get a job, right? Mm-hmm. Or I couldn't keep a job. I could get a job, but I couldn't keep the job, right? Okay. And so my niece was like, man, you lost, you know, she didn't say I lost three jobs. I think I lost three, four jobs within three, four months, right? And mm-hmm. my niece said was going to, you know, she was she was a high school student, dual enrolled at the community college. And she said, hey, why don't you go check out school? Uh, I was like, well, fuck, I can't get a job. Parole officer was saying, you know what, if you don't get a job, you don't do this, 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 you're going right back. And I was like, all right, you know what I mean? So I went to school and I signed up and, um, you know, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I just, I just want to get in and out. And I don't know if I, I like school. I just, I want to get in and out. And, you know, they wanted to put me at work, you know, uh, mechanic, uh, construction, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I was like, man, I don't want to use my hands no more. Right. Like I, I'm, I want to do something different. Okay. So I became a drug and alcohol treatment counselor. You know, I did, I got my, uh, my humanities, I did my humanities work, became a drug and alcohol treatment counselor. And this is, this is the work of squeaks. From, from you know my elder from prison, yeah, and squeaks the, the 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 man who more like a father figure. Everything they taught me started to come to fruition, right? And mm. I became a drug and alcohol treatment counselor, and I started working with young men on felony probation, helping them get, you know, just see life. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't have a problem with drugs. I have a problem with drugs and emotions, though, right? And I did really well there, and then. You know, I was, I was working to help them get off probation. Don't trust cops. I didn't want to work with them. And the, and the youngsters in the neighborhoods, you know, now I'm working with youngsters in my neighborhood. I'm working with youngsters from the opposite neighborhood, from different areas. They're seeing me as like a true OG, right? They're like, you know, this, yeah. is, this is our OG right here. I'm going to do, I'm going to stay clean and sober for him. I'm going to help. I'm going to, they trusted my word, right? Hmm. And then from there, man, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get a, I think I want to go further with this. So I got my associate's degree. I said, you know, I think I want to be a marriage and family therapist or a social worker. So I went off and got my bachelor's degree in psychology. Right. Okay. But I kept oh. hearing this, this fucking, this idea, bro, about like rational choice and people make a choice to do this. People make a choice to do that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I heard this one professor say, or one teacher, he said, uh, you know, people, they choose to drink and then they get addicted. And that didn't sit well with me, man. <laughs> that didn't sit well with me at all. And I was like, well, if, so, if they, you know, thinking as a critical criminologist, a critical sociologist, man, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, people make a choice to drink. Okay. And I remember once a, a judge once told me, uh, I, this was juvenile court too. He said, Mr. Leva, I think you have a drinking problem. You know, I mm. think you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble and all this stuff. And I was like, 
that that came to my mind too and i i kept thinking to myself man if people make a choice to drink right or if i made a choice to drink mm. who in the hell made a choice to fill my neighborhood up full of liquor stores because i go yeah. to the middle class neighborhood and i go to these other neighborhoods they got mm -hmm. a little wine shop maybe a bar maybe one liquor store but right. when you got a when you got a nine block radius of your neighborhood and there's 11 liquor stores right there not including the the grocery stores or the gas stations that sell uh, alcohol right that's if you're telling me i made a rational choice to drink who made a rational choice to fill my neighborhood up full of liquor stores or drugs or violence mm -hmm. or cameras mm -hmm. or cops like and that's when i started to say you know what maybe counseling is it for me i i want to dismantle this system i want to i want to be critical about the system in which i was raised around inequality, gangs, violence, drugs, alcohol, um, mm. patriarchy, toxic masculinity. Like I was raised in this environment and I was like, social workers are gonna help me with that. Beautiful, I love social work. I encourage students to be social workers. I think social workers are an amazing field. Right. But I was like, you know what? I wanna, I wanna learn about sociology and then I wanna challenge. I was thinking, you know what? I, I can challenge the politicians that give out all the licenses. Say, you want a liquor license for that neighborhood? Here you go. You want yeah. you want a you want a, another liquor license for that store? Go for it. Like you're gonna fill my neighborhood up, and I wanted to challenge the system. So I mm -hmm. wanted to learn about structural systems in our neighborhoods that impact the lives of marginal people. So I became a sociologist, right? And so uh, again, man, I was just I'm just letting still to this day I'm still letting the universe kind of guide me. That's how I ended up at El Camino, right? Yeah. The universe is just kind of guiding me to where I need to be. And uh, I, I believe in instinct and gut instinct and say, okay, this feels good. I'm going to roll with it. If it doesn't feel good, then I'm going to question it. I'm going to ask myself, you know, what not about this thing doesn't feel good. So, but that's sociology for me, man. I think that, uh, again, like I shared earlier when we started, the greatest education I've ever had in my lived experience in sociology for me ties my lived experience with mm -hmm. social change. Right. And okay. and allows me to to help people or not even help because I don't come into business to help people. I just come to just give some information, give some support and say, this is how I see things. And then you can roll with it however you want to roll with it. Right. And uh, right. I think sociology has given me a great platform to reach a lot more people than sitting in the counseling room, reaching one or two people. Now, those one or two people are super important, but to create the change we need, man, we need more people. You know what I mean? And so, um, so yeah, man, sociology is where it's at for me. And, and right now I'm getting my doctorate in education. Uh, I'm getting an EDD. It should be done, you know, within a year, year, about a year from now. And right. education, I, I'm getting my doctorate in education because, you know, at one point uh, in sociology, I wanted to really uh, dismantle kind of like the school to prison nexus and all the, the integral web that pushes young people into the criminal justice system or injustice system right and that um that is still i'm still i'm actively working on that on a daily basis man so um but yeah that's sociology man allows me to really think critically about the structures in which we live in you know what i mean yeah um i'm proud of you brother um if no one else is telling you this um there's a light on you that i see you know i'm not perfect at reading people, but I, I do have some insight based on the people and the kind of people that I've been around. But there is a light on you that shines uh, that the world needs to see, the world needs to listen to. 
and I'm not trying to gas you up. That's just real talk um, from one man to another. Uh, coming from where you come from, man, it's not easy. Because in, in our neighborhoods, I, or in my neighborhood, I'm, I'm not sure about yours, but where I grew up, man, you were expected to live there and you were expected to die there. Uh, and whatever came along with that in between came along with that in between. But uh, you didn't have a whole lot visually uh, to, to, to draw us from to inspire you to do necessarily better. So with that, bro, I applaud you for getting out of that situation, whether that uh, be with help or a lot of your own self-direction. But I applaud you for getting out of that situation, for inspiring others, man. And it's going to come a time, brother, when you look back and you be like, you know what? I did all right. You know, I, I did better than all right. You know, the ones that I influence and the ones who come up, um, you know, I, I think I made an impact there, man. So I applaud you for that. Uh, let, let's take a break. When we come back, can you talk about your gang intervention? bro? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear about that and I have questions regarding that. Okay, we'll be right back with more from Martine Leva. Hey, Guerrero, checking in. While I'm in Los Angeles, you'll find me kicking it with Sean from Me and the Crew. At Rooted Friends Project, we're on a mission to transform lives and create brighter futures. Our vision is simple. Empower underserved communities through education, nutrition, and active engagement. Through our innovative programs, we're addressing crucial needs like health awareness, academic support, and personal growth. We're not just a nonprofit, we're a family. Together, we're making a real impact one child at a time. But to keep changing lives, we need your support. With your help, we can reach even more children and families. Your donation will go directly towards expanding our programs, hosting events, and providing essential resources. Join us in creating brighter futures for the next generation. Together, we can make a difference that lasts a lifetime. Rooted Friends Project, empowering today's children to become tomorrow's leaders. Guys, welcome back to Me and the Crew. I'm your host, Shawnee Leverett. We're talking with Professor Martine Leva. Martine, talk about gang intervention. What's working out there, man? I know you do a lot of work with the incarcerated, the formerly incarcerated, and even current knuckleheads. What have you found is working right now? Um, <laughs> gang intervention, prevention, and sometimes mediation. Mediation meaning, you know what? I, I remember this story. It's so unethical, man, but I don't give a shit. I'll, I'll share it, man. I remember there doing gang go. intervention work and, you know, um, kind of violence prevention and conflict resolution, alternatives to violence type of stuff with, with folks, right? And I remember just working with these two young cats, man. They were about 15 years old, 16 years old. You know, one disrespected another. It wasn't a gang issue, even though they were from two different gangs. This was personal beef and um, intervention or no, not even mediation, right? And I said, well, you know, y'all two got to work it out, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, I was like, these two cats are not going to work it out. I was like, y'all two need to go, you fucking empty your pockets. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> make sure you're not, make sure one of you isn't, isn't packing something. Yeah. You go around that corner work and you handle your shit. Work it out. Shit. That's right. That's, That's right. very unethical of me, right? Very unethical working. You know, I'm not gonna share what year, what agency I was working for, and all that because I could. I, I lost my job and probably got you know 
convicted or something. I don't know, man. But sometimes, you know what? Sometimes these cats, sometimes these young people need to need to work it out that way. And I, I still believe, you know, I'm, I'm a very nonviolent person. And I believe and I push a nonviolent agenda. But sometimes people need a good ass whooping. That's all I'm going to say, yeah, right? True that, right? And, right. You know what I mean? And, and that some, sometimes some of the best lessons are learned that way. Hopefully, it's not mm-hmm. it's not super violent, and and and, and you know something, something you come back from. Come yeah, back something from, you come back right? from. That's right. But for gang intervention, man, you know, for one, I I have a lot of love and respect for gangs. Uh, or not, I'm sorry, not not necessarily for gangs, but rather gang members, right? You know, yeah. Father Father G from Homeboy Industry says he doesn't work with gangs, he works with gang members. When he said that, it made me look at gang members as uh, as people that need something that they're not getting from another place, right? And yeah. and again, it goes back to that whole concept of, you know, the wrong crowd. Well, you know what? The wrong crowd provides the right resources maybe at the mm. at the right time. And so when I look at gang members, man, I, I, I like my intervention is, you know, questions like, who are you, man? Who'd you want to be? Like, tell me more about you. People, and most of them are guarded, man. I don't want to talk about me, bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right. Mm. But I think one of the, the biggest success things that I do, successful things that I do with gang members is, is consistency. You might not gonna answer my question today, cool. No worries. Yeah. And the next time I see them, man, how are you doing, man? How's it going? How did you do last time? I'm seeing them for them. I'm not asking yeah. them about their cases. I'm not asking them about, you know, uh, things they don't want to talk about. Like, you know, I'm not a fucking cop. I'm not investigating anything about their life. I'm getting right. to know them for who they are. Yeah. Because I'll tell you one thing. The first thing you do for gang intervention, as soon as you build trust with somebody, mm-hmm. and as soon as somebody sees you as as their as their OG, as their homie, mm-hmm. right? They're gonna let you in. And right. we can then we can talk about, then we could talk about what's cracking in the neighborhood or what what they wanna do with their life or what they, you know what I mean? Like, you know, some of these cats, you know, they've got they've got real issues. And um, you know, I've learned too from my own experience, man, the way I enter any kind of gang intervention prevention is I think that. I think it's a disservice to any gang intervention person out there who hasn't done their own work, can't go in and do the work with other people. I think we had, need to actively do our own work because I want to be the mentor for them that I never had when I was a kid. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, right, I, want, right. I want to provide the service that they need, that I needed too, back when I was young. Right. But the only way I can understand that young Martin is to get to know young Martin. And that's a painful journey. A lot of trauma, mm-hmm. a lot of barriers, a lot of fear, a lot of like inner posturing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I can look in the mirror right now and say, I have a lot of love and respect for you, Martine. I can look at myself in the mirror and tell myself I love myself, even though I deal with anxiety, I deal with depression, I deal with yeah. still a lot of a lot of unaddressed trauma. Yeah. I like who I am, I love who I am. I can only do I can only connect to a young man in a way that he needs to be connected to if I've only connected to myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's, that's the first thing. And then the, the, the other thing I like to do, man, is because I have a lot of respect for gang members man. and gangs ain't never going away by the way. And I, I don't think that's the job of interventionists to try to get rid of gangs. Gangs yeah. provide a, a much needed service to the community and to, mm-hmm. and to the people. Mm-hmm. Can we make the gangs smaller and less violent? Probably, but we ain't never getting mm-hmm. rid of gangs, right? 
Right. But I always, I, I have this thing I call uh, either a three to one rule or sometimes for some people, even a five to one rule, right? Where mm -hmm. if, uh, if, a, if, a, if a young, if a young man, uh, and I do a lot of work with young men. I do work with young women, but I, I also feel like, you know, there's a, as a cisgendered male, as a dude, it's not my job to work with young women. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's beautiful, most powerful women doing that work. And I would say, hey, you know, when I, when I work with young women, women, I'll help them out a little bit. And I say, hey, I'm going to introduce you to so-and-so. She'll be able to really guide you, right? Because I, right. you know, I, my, 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 um, my work is with young men, but I got this three or three to one or five to one rule where if I'm working with, with a young gang member, I got to get to know him first, but I will always do three positive interactions before a challenge. Meaning, you know, a young man comes into my space and it's like, Hey, it's good to see you, man. You're looking sharp, right? There's one positive thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're right on time, man. I like it when you're on time, man. I mean, it says a lot about you and, you know, uh, you know, I appreciate that. There's two positive things. Right. You know, a young man smiles at me at that moment. Hey, look at that smile. Gee, that's a fucking good smile, man. It makes me smile. There's right. three positive things. And then I'll say, I heard you had a bad test, man. I heard you had a, had a dirty test with the probation, man. We need to get on that. See, so this person is going to hear three positive things before he hears one the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, I wouldn't even call it a negative. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I'm not saying, why are you dirty? I'm saying, and it's true right like it's just not necessarily negative but if you come at him sideways he's going to come at you sideways that's right right and then yeah. and then i'll follow up with another positive thing and it, to me it's not being inauthentic unauthentic me it's being real right like I, mm -hmm. I like it when people come to me and they hit me with some positivity first or some, or some cheer some joy some humor yeah. right that lightens the load a little bit Right. And for, for me, that, that right there, man, gang intervention is about human connection. You know what I mean? It's not about blaming people for being in the gang. It's not blaming or, or shaming them for being on drugs or alcohol or committing violence or doing that. You know what? We understand that that's part of the process with gang membership. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. it's not even about that. What it is is about who you are as a human being. Who is it that, how, how can I, how can I love you? How can I respect you? How can I see you? How can I honor you? Mm -hmm. Right? Gang membership is has less to do with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And you know, eventually they'll say, you know, ah, I don't know, you know, I think I want to get a job and I think I want to go to school or I think I want to connect with my kids or whatever, right? That right there is the positive outlook to, you know. I wouldn't, I, you know, and my job isn't to say you should leave your gang. My job isn't to, to do that. My job right. is to say, what else can you be doing besides this? Getting a job, mm -hmm. getting a career. And there's a difference between a job and a career, right? True that, right? And, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's right. my job. Eventually, when somebody has so many positive things going on, you know, a, a decent paycheck, a, a, a family, they're, you know, they're making money. The, the the right way and I'm not I'm not against the informal economy but once people have they feel like they have a purpose outside away from the gang mm. those those gang interactions do go away I got a lot of homies who who not not so you know even me like I've never said I no longer love the west side I'm not part of that west I love the west side I love my neighborhood I'm just not doing neighborhood stuff anymore stuff anymore you know That's what right. I mean <laughs> you know what I mean I just yeah. And I know gang members who who never 
denounced their gangs, they just stopped doing gang stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right? And, and they've gotten the past to do it. They've earned their, you know, they've earned their stripes. They've earned their place. And so, but for gang inter, 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 um, gang intervention and prevention, it really is about getting to know the individual, showing what the individual, showing the individual what uh, I would say, like male love. Like you know what I mean? Like a, a lot of gang members don't have fathers, and if do have fathers, they're not necessarily the best most positive role model right and so if you if you role model what positive male mentorship and guidance is mm -hmm. young men are going to gravitate towards that right and and the other thing i i will i will share and i i call people out on this all the time if you're out there doing any kind of gang intervention and prevention work any kind of drug and alcohol counseling any kind of like mentorship at all mm -hmm. I hope that you are practicing 100%, if not more, what you preach, right? Mm. Because I know I know drug and alcohol treatment counselors and, and 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 folks in the neighborhoods who are doing this work with young people, and they do they do good work. But then they go out and you know they're out in public drinking alcohol. They're you know you know what I mean. They're 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 yeah. they're, they're showing. A different image and most young people right i know i know i know some gang interventionists in certain communities they're doing good work but then they're also still kind of even talking the gang lingo and they're still kind of part of the neighborhood it's like don't tell these individuals what to do with their gang membership when you're doing the exact same thing don't yeah. don't don't tell somebody to stop drinking and stop using when you're out here drinking and even using, right? It's a lot of drug yeah. and alcohol treatment counselors like to smoke weed because I know that these young people, I know that these young people are, are listening to what I'm saying, but more than that, man, they're watching. They're watching. Right. You know what I mean? And that right there, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that. You know what? Your words mean something to me, but your actions mean more. You know what yeah. I mean? And and you know how I saw this a long time ago manifest in my neighborhood is, is when I was going to community college. You know, I walked in my neighborhood with my backpack on. I stopped by the little panderia, little bakery, little bakery, have a cup of coffee. Yeah, right, right, right. Doors there, right. <laughs> and right. I pulled my computer out and my book, and I started doing work. And then these little young homies would come up to me and be like, "What you doing, G?" And I'd be like, "I'm doing homework." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to, to the community college up here, man, trying to, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I'm just doing this homework. Yeah. And they're like, nah, you know, then they would crack a couple of jokes, fuck a square, whatever, you know what <laughs> I mean? But it's, it was funny. <laughs> right. But eventually, eventually what I saw was these young cats, like cool was, school was okay now. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And and if the, if the OG's doing it, I can mm -hmm. do it. Because right. when I right. used to have fucking stolen property or, knives or bats or guns in the backpack guess what i was doing mm -hmm. i was giving them permission to do the exact <laughs> same thing and so i always tell people you know what if you're preaching something make sure you are role modeling because role modeling is way more important than, than way more important than words way more sure important. That, words to me words to me ain't shit. action yeah. is all of it you know what i mean so um yeah. that's super yeah, important to me man yeah, yeah, bro. That, that's man. That that. Wow. Yeah, dude. You touched on some things, man. I I can uh one hundred percent relate to. But you're right. You're right, bro. I I don't I don't want to hear about it anymore. 
I don't, you know, ch change the behavior. <laughs> stop, stop telling me about yeah. it and change the behavior. You know, exactly. So with that, man, yeah. real talk, bro. Hey, hey, talk about the emotional intelligence thing, man. Because I, I know you're big on that. Um, yeah, I know you're big on self care. I know you're big on emotional intelligence. Start there. Talk, touch on that. Yeah, you know, um, probably just like you. You know, me and you, man, we was raised around, we were cut, cut from the cloth that said, man, boys don't cry, men don't cry. True that. Fucking toughen it up, fucking, you know what I mean? I always, <laughs> I always saw men, when they were mad, they used oh, their fists. Man. They were sad, yeah. they used their fists. Yes, right. I don't, I don't think I ever saw my stepdad cry, and, you know, the very few times mm -hmm. I met my, my, my biological father, and I don't think I've ever seen a grown man cry. Mm. And, um... And there's nothing wrong with it, man. As a matter of fact, I always tell I always tell men and young men, I said, one of the most gangster things you can do for yourself is actually cry. One yeah. of the biggest connections you can ever have in life is the one to yourself. Right? Yeah. And um I believe that emotional intelligence um allows me to understand that I'm okay with me crying. I'm okay with me feeling, right? Because I do. I deal with high levels of, of depression, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think just growing up the way I grew up and the trauma. But uh, there's very, very few times that it actually owns me. For right. the most part, I know when my depression's coming on. I know when my anxiety is coming up. I know because I've allowed my, I've given my soul permission that if you're gonna cry, cry. If you if you're mm -hmm. gonna feel sad, feel yeah. You know, yeah, if I feel sad. Not only do I want to feel it, I want to express it. You know, That's somebody it. says, Martin, yeah. how you know, how are you feeling today? The first reaction is, Oh, I'm fine, I'm good, right? And you're lying, not only to yourself, but to the person in front of you. And so mm -hmm. for me, <laughs> people trip out because they'd be like, Martin, how you feeling? I say, I'm a little sad, but I'm good. And then to <laughs> them, they're they're all of a sudden they're caught off guard, which means a little sad. Like <laughs> especially right. to me, other men. Oh, right. I feel a little depressed today, but you know, I got shit to do. I gotta go. You know what I mean? Like Right. Because once you once you actually <laughs> say what you're feeling, mm. I think you kind of take away not all of its power, but a good bulk of the power, yeah, right? Because that, those those things will inhibit you from doing what you need to do, and um, they will cause relationships to break. They will cause you know, uh, you yeah. know I've been clean and sober. I've been clean and sober twenty twenty one years or something, and mm -hmm. for me, it's one of those things where. If I don't check my emotions, then that puts me at higher risk for relapse. And yeah. at this point in my life, I'm not the type of person who will say, I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to use again. I'm never going to go back to prison. I don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now, Sean. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how am I, I supposed you, to bro. say that? Yes, sir. But I know that at this moment, if I feel a feeling, right, and I know how to manage the amygdala and the frontal cortex, I know when I'm be overwhelmed, and I know my body, if I'm feeling sad, my eyes going to twitch, if I'm feeling angry, my fists might ball up, if, I, mm. if I'm feeling frustrated, my, my, uh, my face will get a little warm, you know what I mean, I understand what my body mm. is telling me, and as soon as I feel that, I don't ignore it, I say, okay, mm. take a deep breath, and yeah, you know what, I'm a little fucking mad right now. You know yeah. what I mean? It doesn't mean I'm yeah. going to yell. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to hit anything. It doesn't even mean, even if I'm upset with somebody, I'm not going to call and say, you fucking blah, blah. Now I'm going to say, hey, uh, I feel a certain way about things. Because I think mm -hmm. that the, the healthiest love, the healthiest love for self and others mm -hmm. is the ability to 
communicate exactly what you're feeling. Now, doesn't mean that because I communicate what I'm feeling to another person that they're mm -hmm. going to receive it. Right. So I've had to learn whatever the reaction is, that's theirs, not that, mine. Yeah, I'm, 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 you got to be okay with it. Yeah, yeah, you got to be and, okay you know, with it. Cannot enter Ooh. with these big expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ooh, I, rarely have, I rarely have big <laughs> expectations from people. Oh, I do man. have some expectations, but you know what? If I tell you something and then I have an expectation for the response and I don't get it, I'm going to lose my yeah. shit. Yeah, I'm going to lose my shit. Oh. So I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling. And if I don't get the response, that's okay because yeah. that's yours and not mine. And I don't want to take things personal. And, yeah. and I'm pretty good at it now. And when I do take things personal, I'll say, hey, here's a chain of events that happened. This is mm -hmm. why I'm feeling this way. And yeah. this is what I would like to conversate about. Or if you don't want to talk about it, I just thought I'd let you know what I'm, what I'm going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think that's healthy, not only for self, but for us and for others. No, you know absolutely, man. Yeah, that, that transparency thing is absolutely necessary, man. I applaud you for being as far ahead as you are with it, you know. And I'm, I'm still yeah. working on my, you know, my emotions have always got me in trouble. Oh, because it's <laughs> yeah. And just being honest, because it, it you wow. know, it comes with the reaction. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like I'm, I'm thinking about it. It was just like, what? And that was yeah. it. If, if you ever heard the, the term with that kind of high voice, what? You, you, were catching, yeah. you, were catching, you were catching something, you know, from me. Yeah. So, um, and I'll tell this story real quick, man. Long time ago, I had issues, you know, with my pops and I, I was feeling all these things and I was married. And so apparently my missy was tired of me talking about it. And she just let me know, like, you need to call and let him know. And just being, my father never answered the phone. That, that wasn't mm. his job. So it was yeah. late at night. I called. I expected mom to answer. You know, hey, mom, pop, sleep, okay, hang up. So I get off the hook real quick. So I call. Who picks up the phone? My father. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. So I gave him all this stuff, my team. I'm I get I just, all this stuff that I was feeling, man. And when I got done, I was in tears. I was sweating. I gave him all this that I was feeling and holding against him. His words, his words to me, and this is directly in correlation to what you said, you know, no expectation. I didn't know what I was expecting. His words to me after I gave him that was, okay, old dude. Which mm. threw, me in, threw me into a rage. Yeah. You know, it, it was just, okay, old dude, and he hung up the phone. And I was just, and I, I carried that, and I had that in my marriage. I had that in my working relationship. I had that in my friendships. And this was before my, my oldest son came, but I was carrying all that, man. And I carried it around for years, years. And it took uh, one, we went camping. We're up in Valencia. I'll tell you, I'm trying to make it quick. We're up in Valencia, and there are a gang of us camping. And there was one girl who went with us who I had never met up until that. And so I'm sitting out by the campsite, and I'm there, you know, just by myself. And she came out, and she started telling her backstory, you know, how she was on the streets and all these other things. And for whatever reason, I felt compelled and there was a, it was just like that wall came down where I told her what was going on in my family and my life and my situation with my father. And mm. it, she said, you know, what you did, you did for you. You didn't do that for him. And the thing is, man, a thousand people could have told me that a thousand different ways. But for whatever reason, when she said it, it made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was just like, huh, huh. I feel bad. And, I mean, no. Yeah. And, you know, and I carry that now. It's just like, you know, you make you make sure you're okay with you. When you lay yes. it down at when you lay it down at night and when you get up in the morning, 
you make sure you are okay with you. Because the world's going to do what the world's going to do. People are going to do what they're going to do. You make sure you're okay with you. So yeah. emotionally, man, you know, I'm, I'm still working on some stuff because there are still some triggers that I have. And much like what you said, I recognize when those things are coming up and I have to decide, like, you know, is this worth it? Yeah. Them, them, try, them trying to disturb my peace because I'm huge on that. Them trying to disturb my peace. Do I even engage in this or do I just let it go? Because what, what they're talking about is not going to change yeah. No, man. And that, yeah, man. That's that's a beautiful story because that 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 is what it is, man. Because if, you know, me and you again cut from the same path. It's so easy to take things personal and right. be reactionary. Yeah. Be, reactionary, yeah, be reactionary with it, right? Yeah. And sometimes our reactions aren't very positive. Being honest, man, you know, and I know, you know, people can't see like the scars on like my face and like on the rest of that. All that came from fighting. I, I, yeah. I never turned down and I'm not bragging. This is not bragging. I never turned down a fight. And well, you were never is, allowed to either though. Yeah, right? I mean, not, think well, about it. Bro, man, it, I, I came home. I remember coming home one day after I got into this fight with this guy uh, named Michael. He used to call him Big Black Mike. Mike was taller than me, bigger than me, outweighed me. I challenged Mike, went up to him, you know, started fighting with him. He, he, he cracked me on the left side. I had to go get that stitched up. It was bleeding all over the place. So I went to the house prior to getting it stitched up. My pops grabbed me, and I'm putting his hand on the top of my head, looking at turning my head one side, turning my head the other way, go get him. I was just mm -hmm. like, uh, okay. Because he didn't have that option. And the thing right. is, I went back out looking for him and could not find him. You get it? But there's no way I should have been fighting this cat. There, ain't, there right. ain't no way. You know, and that shit now will get you killed. You get it? Yeah. So fortunately, yeah. back then, you know, bros just, you know, just let off you. They, they, they you know, take their foot off the gas and just kind of let you go about your way after this ass whooping, you know, don't let it happen again. Today, that shit would get you killed. So I'm, I'm blessed in the sense, man, that, you know, I grew up in a different time with my anger and hostility and emotional issues and and all those other things that I had going on, bro. Yeah. And, you know, let me, let me uh, make this clear, too, because you said, you know, you're still working on things. And, and, you know, I do I do the work in emotional intelligence for self and others. And I do workshops and trainings and stuff like that, especially with young men. I'm still doing my work. Yeah. And uh, I think that. I think that anybody who can, this is a, a personal opinion of mine, anybody who says I'm healed, I'm good, mm. uh, I challenge, I challenge them. You know what? Mm. We're not always, we're not ever going to be fully healed. We're not ever going to be fully good. But, it, but, but the best part is that as long as we are constantly working, people live on it true that right yeah and then we're, we're moving in the right direction you know what i mean i, I always tell folks you know if, if you know anything about maslow's hierarchy of needs and the top mm. of this fucking pyramid says self-actualization you know who you are when people yeah. say oh i've reached that point i was like no you haven't no you haven't mm. and i hope you never do i never want to know who i fully am because i always want to be exploring that that means yeah. with every like me even meeting you Right, yeah. me and you, we could talk about because we were born in the same era, right? I'm a right. I'm a 1972 baby, right? And right. And when 
you know, when we talk, me and you can get talking, man, you're going to pop up a new memory, a new thing. You talk about your dad, you talk about your brother, you talk about this and that. Like, and I want to get to continue to explore who I am. So for the most important part of it is so that I can teach it out. Do you know what I mean? Like anything that I I learn, anything that I, I absorb in, it's not my, it's not mine to keep. Yeah, it's yours to give, Every, right? That's true. It's only right. there to give. Is any yeah. if I'm holding on to any kind of knowledge of like, you know, Martine, how are you so peaceful? Ah, don't worry about it. No, no, no I'm gonna tell you how I'm peaceful, <laughs> and I hope as I share with uh, you that you can find oh, peace yeah. too, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty fucking selfish. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? So, man, up rock, and then you know, just just real quick. So it's just like, you know, a hey, same thing, like, you know, a hey, hey, leverette, because I can't, you know, a lot of people will call me leverette based on my pops. It's like, you know, a hey, hey, leverette, man, you've always been the same person. How is that? I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm just trying to keep a lid on it. <laughs> I, I, I get mad. Yeah. I get angry like everybody else. Literally, I'm just trying to keep a lid on it because it's still there. And I, I'll mm-hmm. tell the messy. I'll be like, you know, the, the stuff that chases me, you know, you would think it would go away. It does not. It's still there. It may not be on you. The, the way it you know it is at other times but the sadness thing man i, I like i'll go I, I i don't do it as much anymore but i used to go into the shower to cry yeah, reason man. being nobody can hear it and nobody can see it you get it yeah so the waters will mix in with your tears the, the sound of the water will you know just kind of drown out you know that thing well I, I would i was in a relationship or whatever i go into the shower and cry and i feel better about it afterwards you know, mm-hmm. so and now I'm just like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I got. And, you know, that circle has become really small for me. But the people who are around me, I don't have a problem being transparent with, you know, yeah. include including my sons, my my two boys. And I encourage that. Hey, son, you need to cry. Let it go. You know, let let, oh, let, yeah. let it out, because I'd rather have you. I'd rather have you do that now and give that to me as opposed to do that somewhere where somebody's going to take advantage of. It. Right. So, so probably, right. Yeah. Practice that now, practice that here. For sure. And I do tell young people, I said, emotional intelligence is super important, but it's not for everyone. It's not for, 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 you know what I mean? Until the people around you understand it or can accept it, it might Mm -hmm. not work in all spaces, right? Because, you know, I've had young men share stories with me about, you know, they're coming to this understanding of who they are and how they communicate. And then they go to their the, their father or their uncle or you know somebody and they're like you know I want to talk to you about something and they're like get the fuck out of here with that because mm. those men are not ready to accept responsibility they're not ready right. to accept you know whatever it is and and then the young men will come back to me and say man it hurt me to talk to me and I said they can't you got to let go of that expectation because you feel a certain way doesn't mean they're going to feel a certain way you got to be patient you know what I mean again back to the role modeling thing right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Role modeling, role model what it is to talk about feelings, role model what it is to talk about emotion. And eventually, mm-hmm. hopefully, those around us will accept it too, right? Because everybody's got their own level of trauma and they don't want to, a lot of, a lot of people, um, it's just like toxic masculinity, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Toxic masculinity is something I, I try my best to dismantle. But some people's masculinity or toxic masculinity actually serves a purpose for them. It feels, yeah. they feel like it keeps them safe. It feels like it, mm-hmm. it keeps them, you know, 
you know, don't fuck with me because I'm not going to talk about things or I need to act a certain way because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, disrespect the, my forefathers who taught me how to be this way. And it's like, man, you don't realize how much harm you're causing. So it works right. for them. Eventually in time though, when you, when you role model and, and, and share with people how you're feeling or, you know, a different way, eventually they'll catch on. And that's, that's the part right there. Bro. So yeah, shit, man. Yeah, bro, bro. Oh, man, man, we, we should do, and I wanted to get into, I, I have a whole list of topics under, um, under criminal justice and rehabilitation, particularly here in the United States, because I know you're doing a lot of work with that. Can we revisit a part two to this, bro? We can, man. And I, I would actually like that because there's a lot of topics in that area where, you know, I, you know, I do the work. I'm on, on the board for Just Detention International, and I've, I've created a lot of programs for formerly incarcerated folks and had great mm -hmm. conversations. No, I wouldn't say great conversations, but I've had conversations with law enforcement agents and city council members and stuff, and and, and that work is super important. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, definitely a part two. Uh, Part two would be very nice, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at these questions, man. I'm like, this could take another hour or so. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this, bruh. Thank you for this, man. Um, and like I say, once again, man, you have no idea. Um, there there is a light on you, and that that's something that you know that I won't say it's a gift, but I have to recognize that that's something I I, I see people the way they are, and I see them where they are in their journey. This right here is just beginning for you, man. It is. Mm. It's just beginning for you. And I know, you, you know, you're a humble cat. You know, I, I get that from you. You don't talk. You talk about the things you're doing if they're brought up, but you're not a, oh, look at me. This is what I'm doing kind of guy. But I know when I find out, I'm like, how do you have the time to do all this? You know, <laughs> I mean, real talk, man. real talk. And I, I know you're about people and, you know, and engaging with people, encouraging people. And I, because I know your background, I know how super important those things are to you. So I applaud you, bro. Thank you for doing this with me. Man, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate this time with you. And uh, yeah, man, just, just put a smile on my face because it feels good to, you know, you're right. I don't really talk about the things I do. I just do it, right? right. And uh, sometimes when you're like, oh yeah, this happened and this is how, you know, just like our conversation today, it's a reminder for me and I, I do need those reminders every once in a while that what I'm doing is making a difference. And yeah. uh, again, I don't, I don't, we don't, we don't, we don't do the work. Or I don't do the work for like, uh, for recognition or awards. I don't give a shit about this stuff because uh, at the end of the day, the award didn't cause the change. It's the person that caused the change. The change. You, just, True that, you know what I mean? You know, it's people like you've changed my life. I said, no, man, you changed your own life. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I didn't do shit except role model something. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I'm just happy to be there to see it. I was just happy to be yeah. there to see it. But that's all you. True that, bro. Yeah, it's on. Thank it's you. on others, man. They do that work, not me. I just, again, I just maybe I maybe I did start a program, and they came through the program and they were successful, and they're like, hey, "Thank you so much for what you did for me." I said, "I didn't do shit." Yeah, because you did your own homework. You did your own self-reflection you did your own healing you know what i mean you you saw you you seeked out other resources other than this pat yourself on the back right we don't mm -hmm. do this work for recognition mm -hmm. in those ways i do this work because again it boils down to i want to be the mentor i needed when i was younger man so that's yeah you know, i appreciate I, I appreciate you uh inviting me to do this and uh Maybe we should, yeah, let's do a part two on the criminal justice system. We got a lot to talk about with that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, true that, bro. Yeah, we're, we're not done, man. 
When I depart, I'll see you. I'll see you on Monday anyway. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, man. Have a blessed weekend. Be safe. Uh, take take care of the doggy. Oh, likewise, brother. Yeah, bro. I got three of them in there. Uh, two pet bulls and a chihuahua. <laughs> no, sir. Two two pet bulls. We had three, but we had we had two pet bulls and a chihuahua in there. So I'm about to go in here and get into this, man. But appreciate you. Have a great weekend, my bro. You too, but I'll see you on Monday. All right, bro. Yes, sir. All right. Bye. Bye, bro. Me and the Crew, the 1523 podcast is a Leverett Gang original, presented and produced by Sean E. Leverett. Caleb Emanuel, Noah Clarence, and Urania Celeste are Leverett Gang producers. Please listen, like, follow, or subscribe on your preferred platform to receive our content first.